Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is rooted within me. Hi and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host, and we welcome you to the show along with Dr. Tim Hayes, and today is, oh, I'm not at my computer, it's Wednesday, January the, what? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) We're just, we're just trucking along and staying busy doing the workshops each evening, and and, uh, we lose track of time. Sometimes we lose track of where we are, what city we're in. We're actually on a boat right now, but we welcome you to the show. Our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions, because then that really does make this your show. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart. And I am updating my fonts on my computer so I can see what date it is. Anyway, we'll have to I'll have to get out and uh, and take a picture of Jeannie. We're sitting on the intercoastal waterway. So let's see. Today is a oh, long flyer. Oh well. It is what day it is. It's Wednesday. <laughs> Somebody else knows. Anyway, uh I'll have to get out and get a picture of Jeannie because we're sitting on a cigar cigar boat on the intercoastal waterway and she's sitting up in the the uh helmsman seat with her computer rocking along the reason she used my phone to do the opening is she's having a little difficulty getting the uh the control panel open but she's working on it and in the meantime we welcome you to the show we're honored we're blessed that you're here we hope that we're a blessing in your life we had an awesome group last night a lot of things going on uh other other uh possibilities happening that we're having to just let go of in order to be able to finish up here and get back over to uh Ellington to continue the editing of videos and uh, and, uh, and and writing. So uh, so not only am I the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again, but Jeannie is soon to be the author of Healing the Generations One Breath at a Time. And so that will be forthcoming. Uh, one of the things I'd like to share with the community several times over the, uh, the last years, we've had uh, Ron Blakeney on the show, uh, who's up in Massachusetts. And uh, I'd just like to take a minute to just have everybody tap in on the presence of love and and hold a space for he and his family. Uh, his mom passed away about 1130 last night. It was uh, expected in the family. Actually, they live up in Massachusetts. It was pretty cold. And uh, they knew it was her last week or two. And so they came down to Florida 
Unfortunately, when I found out that they were here, we were heading the other direction. We were actually on the road heading here to South Florida. Ron flew into Orlando where his parents were uh, to be with his mom for her last week. And uh, so so he had called me, and unfortunately, we were heading down here to speak on Sunday morning, and otherwise we'd have uh, headed over to Orlando where they were staying to uh, to visit and, and wish her our goodbyes. But uh, in the meantime, we can do that from here, and uh, knowing that she has the space of support, and I really admire and acknowledge Ron for being able to step into when they found out his mom had cancer, he stepped into his own process, did his work, was just, you know, from every conversation, every report, was just this sweet, awesome space so that instead of being in fear and all the trauma that, that goes along with most people's passing today, uh, you know, or in this age, uh, she was able to be confident and connected, went through the whole ordeal with little or no pain, and uh, just gently moved out of her body last night. So we hold a space for Ron and his family in our hearts and in our prayers. So we just take a moment to just be silent and send Ron and his dad and his brother and sister and mom, especially for her journey, a rocket boost of love to send her on her way. Sending her into the arms of love, the ocean of love in which we live, move and have our being. And we're honored that you're here. We uh, we just, I so appreciate having this opportunity to share with this audience every day. And of course, the days that we can't appreciate Dr. Tim and Michelle for taking over for us. But uh, it's just such a blessing to keep this learning, opening, this growing process just uh, keeps moving and moving and moving in such ways, such amazing ways. We did a uh, an Empowered to Heal workshop last night. It's like there's, you know, another new level of clarity and uh, aliveness in the uh, in the workshops. It's been uh, since last, what, uh, June, I guess, since we've done any travel workshops. So it's kind of cool to have that time frame and then get back in the saddle. And so last night, as I said, with Monday's workshop, the On Creating Consciousness, like there was a new level of clarity and understanding, probably the best one I've done yet. And and then last night again with Empowered to Heal, it was just a, a sweet space. And, and, and it's amazing. We have this family is coming every night, came on Sunday. And the daughter, I think is about nine. There are two daughters, actually, a six-year-old and a nine-year-old. And I may be off on their ages, but that's my guess at it. And uh, during the workshop on Sunday, three or four times, she put up her hand with really meaningful questions. You know, not, oh, here's a kid going to ask something that's irrelevant, but seriously meaningful questions. And then last night had still more questions. And when she came into the workshop, shared with me that she had done a worksheet on one of her friends at school that she was angry at. And she did a worksheet, and in the workshop on Sunday, she did a worksheet on her teacher who wasn't teaching her properly according to what they were supposed to be doing. 
and she was angry about that. And when she got to the end of the worksheet, her anger had softened. She wasn't finished with it, but she was determined she was going to keep working with it. And uh, she shared yesterday that uh, you know she did a worksheet in class on one of her classmates, and one of her other classmates was looking over her shoulder saying, what are you doing? And and so she explained it to her, and she said, well, if that works, I want to know about it. I want to do it too. So I could just see this nine-year-old little lady uh, starting a support group in school on, on first-century Aramaic forgiveness. That would be awesome. It would be the first one led by a student that young. That would be pretty sweet. And at the intermission last night, a lot of the conversation was around the Aramaic, and, and the six-year-old comes up with, you know, she comes over with Dad. Dad brings her over, and she's like, hey, she has some questions for you. I said, great. She's like, well, what you said that different religions came out of the Aramaic. Which ones were they? And I went through the, each of the religions, and she didn't recognize Zoroastrianism, so I did a little explanation. She was like, oh, okay, thank you. And I mean, got it. I mean, where these kids come from, I don't know, but... <laughs> It was pretty amazing, the level of conversation, and it was clear the level of comprehension with both of them was just amazing. So pretty sweet to see them at that age. Man, do I wish I would sat in a why is this happening to me again or, a heal, or a, an empowered to heal or a, an on-creating consciously workshop. That would have been pretty awesome to have gotten this information at that age. And here's Jeannie. And I hear her in the background. Yeah. Actually, I think I'm going to have to walk over to the gazebo, but Dr. Tim's turned on the switchboard in the chat room, and he said nobody's in there right now. Um, however, one of the other things that the child did and got a <gasps> intake of breath from everybody in the room oh, yeah. is halfway through, she raised her hand, Michael called on her, and she says, how can I tell if I'm unplugged? And oh, everybody yeah, that is a five-year-old. Yeah. Six-year-old, yeah. Yeah, we were talking about, you know, in, in Empowered to Heal, we offer that unless your physiology is plugged into a proper power supply, and obviously if everybody comes in as love, that's the power supply, then, you know, if you unplug, you can't have high level levels if you're functioning out of hostility and fear. And so, yeah, the six-year-old raises her hand, clears the bell. Well, how do I know if I'm unplugged? I forgot about that. I mean, it's just to watch their comprehension. It's just like, oh, there is hope for the world. There is hope for the world. So... Anyway, it's a powerful, powerful process to just watch people get a hold of and, and bring forward into the world. And uh, that I get to do that is just so sweet, so cool. Looking forward to the uh, nine-day codependence to interdependence intensive. It will start on the 1st of February, so we're just a little better than a week away from that. And uh, that nine-day, if you're if you're ready, I think we've got... I'm talking to a, a couple right now. I think we've got one space left in that nine-day codependence to interdependence. And it'll start on February 1st. It'll be in Orlando. So if you're up there and and I understand you're getting snow and cold. I talked to my daughter last night. She said, oh, it's 12 degrees in St. Louis, Dan. It's snowing. My granddaughter's like, oh, I'm going to make a snowman. And so, But anyway, if you're ready to get out of that winter a little bit, uh, February 1st. Nine-day residential codependence to interdependence. We're, we're calling it the lap, lap of luxury intensive because it's one of the nicest spaces we've ever done an intensive in. We've got this absolutely beautiful seven-bedroom, huge house, uh, just five minutes from Disney World in Orlando, or actually Kissimmee, uh, south side of Orlando. And uh, that'll start on, on uh, 
the first Monday. And for those who want to go beyond the nine days, we'll be carrying that on to a 16 day. So it'll be codependence to interdependence communication practicum. And one of the, uh, the real powerhouses in this particular workshop, a lot of people hear and engage the DVD or the CD on communication. Did you hear what I think I said? But have difficulty really capturing what it looks like. And uh, so we, in the in the intensive, this particular one, and we actually did it for the first time, I guess it was last year, when an issue comes up or somebody's stuck on something, you know, my father did this or my, you know, my former spouse did this, we'll say, well, would you like to do some communication about that? Boy, would I like to get them here and do that. Okay. Well, how about picking somebody in the room that, you know, maybe looks like them or reminds you of them or resonates them at some point and ask if they will be um, uh, cooperative with you and being, be receptive to responsibility communication. So if that person agrees, then the two come up to the front of the room and we step-by-step step go through the responsibility communication process showing where the faults are. And, you know, it's, it's amazing to watch people listen to the steps and go, okay, so I'm talking about my reality and, and what I want support is my healing. And then, you know, 10 lines into the dialogue, they rock it off into their emotional trauma and just do the same old stuff they've always done. And so it's, it's really sweet and powerful to, uh, to have that happening. And then, you know, the agreement is that we'll stop the communication and, and just explain. So notice that you wanted to make sure that you're going to get support in healing your, you said there was anger in this situation. Yes. So notice that you're not talking about your anger and you, you're talking about what they did. So you started out and you described the situation and then you went right into how they did this and they did that and look what they did and look what you did and it's all your fault. And, if you, and it's like, okay, so take a breath and stop. And notice that that's projection communication. You know, when a reality shows up in your head, there's one thing you know for sure, that reality is true about you. And the reason you're feeling the pain of it is because it's true about you. So we're going to stop the conversation right in the middle of the sentence, and you're going to, we're going to invite you to let go of talking about them and come back to what's going on inside of you. So it's really powerful to watch somebody when they start moving out of the way the whole culture communicates about, you know, I mean, listen to anybody in upset. Have you ever heard anybody in the middle of a major upset that talks about, their trauma, their issue, and what they need to heal. It's virtually unheard of in the culture. So it's really cool for people to be able to sit back and observe that happening and see, oh, oh, and I've had people share with me, man, I saw myself sitting up there. It's like, no wonder people run away. No wonder people respond negatively to me with that kind of garbage going on. And I didn't even realize it was doing it. When, when we get, you get to observe it, it's, just, it's, it's really powerful. I don't know if Jim's on the show, but uh, way back when I first started doing, when we broke away the communication chair, when I think I said workshop, we actually had uh, recorded uh, Jim doing a responsibility communication. And it was one of the most powerful, the most effective, most amazing ones I've ever seen. And the recorder had broken down and didn't record it properly. It's like, oh, it was such an awesome process to watch. 
And and the result that happens when people drop into what's underneath the surface mind for themselves and the healing that happens there. And then, of course, the person on the other side of the fence, uh, when they can drop down into those deeper parts of their minds. And so it's always always pretty amazing and pretty sweet. And, and it also is interesting how when we do this at an intensive, the right people are always there to represent the person that, you know, somebody else thinks is the problem in their lives. So, so pretty, pretty amazing. So that'll be what we'll do starting on the 1st through the 9th. And then if people want to stay beyond the 9th, have the space to do that and the desire, we'll actually carry it on until the 16th of, uh, of February. And then we'll actually take a day off the 17th. And uh, on the 18th, we'll start a 16-day Laws of Living. And Laws of Living is an intensive that's about – not a, let me let me back up a little bit. Most people, when I say laws of living, say, "Oh, great! Well, give me a copy." No, 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 no. You don't understand. Man made up a story. Remember, we've spoken over and over again about Vladimir Lenin. He says, "You want to destroy a culture, change the meaning of its words." And so, men have convinced us that the word "law" means set of rules that some man wrote that we're supposed to follow, and that's not law. That's got nothing to do with law. That's men's rules and regulations. Laws of living is an intensive that is about you understanding and coming into full relationship with the eternal forces from the creator. An example of the eternal forces is the force of gravity. Now, you know, when you think of that particular law that most people have a fair understanding of, though nobody knows what it is, really, but when you think about that, you know, people would say, well, I don't like the law, so I want to change it, or I don't want to have anything to do with it. You know, go back to Paul 2,000 years ago. It's like, I don't want anything to do with that law stuff. I'm not under it anymore. It's like, well, good luck. Let me see you in your relationship with the eternal force of gravity change how it works. I want you to decide, like most men want to, I want to make up my own laws the way the universe works. I want to see you decide that tomorrow morning when you get out of bed, your feet are going to go up to the ceiling instead of to the floor. Good luck. You have absolutely no choice as to how these eternal forces impact you. And there are eternal forces that impact your mind, your emotions, your body, your genitals, your food, your digestion, your relationships, your finances, your land. There are eternal forces that operate. And the idea isn't to sit down and and figure out a set of written laws. Here's what we follow. Just tell me what to do and then I'll be okay. But rather... I take responsibility for coming into relationship with those eternal forces. I remove the blocks to relationship with those eternal forces. And therefore, I can stop coming into collision with something that I don't need to collide with. You know, the person who stands on a building and says, well, I don't care about these laws. I don't care about any whoever wrote them, whoever did it. I'm going to step off this building and I'm going to just float to the ground. It's like, excuse me, you don't have any choice about that one or any of the other laws. And what happens is when people don't understand them, they come into avoidable collision with those laws. And you perhaps have heard me use the example of one of my favorites is, you know, imagine you're building a beautiful new 3,000 square foot home and, and you need to get it wired. And you know that the day the power's turned on, you and your family are going to be asleep in the house, deep sound sleep at three in the morning when the power's turned on. How many want my great, great grandmother to wire your house? 
Well, not if I'm going to be asleep in the house. I don't. She doesn't know anything about the laws of electricity. Chances are when the power's turned on, the house is going to burn down. What do I want? I want someone who understands how those forces called electricity work and wire my house so it's safe. Well, it's true in every arena of life. And so what laws of living about is becoming safe in the universe, a universe that looks violent and when we're colliding with things all the time, creating traumatic, suffering lives. And recognizing that all of that suffering is because of avoidable collision with the law, with the eternal forces. And, you know, people talk about breaking the law. Nobody has ever broken a law. Nobody ever will break a law. We can break men's rules and regulations. You know, the speed limit sign says 55 and I'm doing 75. I just broke so-called law. It's not law at all. It's men's rules and regulations and ordinances. You can't break a law. Nobody's ever done it. But people get broken in their avoidable collisions with the law, and that's the cause of all suffering. Actually, the... Uh, side of a new book that I'm working on is called The End of Suffering. And we end suffering when we start to understand how these energetic forces around us operate and come into harmony with them. And of course, how we are in harmony with them and how our communities, one of the, one of the pieces to understand about Yeshua's teaching in the, uh, in the Beatitudes, you know, what Yeshua invites people into is loving truth and looking into their own errors and thought and the errors of their society because we are impacted by the societal violation of the eternal forces. To say, well, you know, what if you're overrun by? Well, societies, cultures, cities, states, nations are overrun by other cities, states, and nations because of their violation of the eternal forces. It's what draws attack in. And so when we start to gather a group of people, you know, what would it be like if our so-called lawmakers, which they're not, that we send off to Washington or to the state capitol, what if every one of them had to understand how the eternal forces operated, lived as love, and were able to guide the nation into harmony with, just like you gotta be, you got to be in harmony with the, the law of gravity to survive. You can't do it any other way. What if we had so-called lawmakers who actually understood how these eternal forces operate and guided the nation into human experience and human life? How different would the game be? By the way, another um, another kind of neat piece of the puzzle of what's happening, you've, uh, you've heard Michael Coughlin sharing in the past about uh, what he's been through. You know, he's the gentleman that... Uh, showed up at uh, Heartland two summers ago in a wheelchair and six weeks later was uh, jogging up the hill at Heartland. And if you haven't been there yet, they're pretty steep hills. Was back in the gym for the first time in 10 years. And, uh, you know, former military, very proud of his uh, military service and the fact that he, his expertise was training people to kill people and killing people. And uh, lots of... Uh, heavy-duty interactions with Michael as he's done his work, lots of old pain and trauma surfacing. And he was at the workshop on Monday, and he is presenting this Sunday service at CSL in Boca Raton on Sunday. How cool is that? And if you want to hear his story, if you go to uh, our website, whyagain.org, 
and you click on the bullseye, if you go down, there's a link to radio shows, and you'll see one of that uh, Dr. Tim put together, actually, of two different shows that, uh, that Michael shared his story with. And uh, his movement, just, you know, amazing. So if you're in the Boca Raton area, uh, I'd like to once again just let you know that, uh, that Michael's going to be speaking Sunday morning. We're going to plan to be there to support him, and we invite everybody else to come and play. It's pretty, uh, pretty awesome to see that, uh, that shift occurring. And so, Jeannie, uh, is Dr. Tim with us? You said he turned it on. Is he still with us? I actually have not been able to get my computer, so I'm having to do a reboot, and then I guess I'm going to walk over to the gazebo. So, actually, Dr. Tim is running the switchboard for me at the moment. Well, so he thank is on. you. How are you, sir? Okay, great. I'm doing well. Well, let's say hello to the young man. Thank you. I'm doing well. Full speed ahead. Yay. Nobody, nobody in the chat room yet except one guest, but quite a few people on the phone. No one with a hand up yet. We had our support group last night, Tuesday, in Woodstock, Illinois, and a wonderful turnout. Uh, three relatively new people for their probably their second session, and um, we watched that first hour of the four-hour Why Is This Happening to Me Again that you recorded in September of 2014, and of course it sparked some conversation, and one of our members had one of those moments during the past week that you've referred to. You talk about um, Terry Bowling and some other people who have been in intensives and they leave and then sometime after that, either coming out of a breath session or as they're driving away from an intensive or they wake up one morning soon after and they have this deep experience of love and some for the first time ever. And we had a group member last night who said that during the past week, when she was feeling negative about herself, she took a breath and got gentle with herself and did the the, the little technique that we learned from Sylvia Borstein. She's uh, an elderly woman who's a Jewish Buddhist, and Sylvia, whenever she gets upset, she'll put her hand over her heart and she'll take a few deep breaths, and she'll talk to herself, and she'll say, Sweetheart, you're in pain. Take a few deep breaths, relax, then we'll look at what's going on, then we'll decide what to do. But right now, sweetheart, you're in pain. And she said she did that during the week, and for the first time she ever remembered, she actually felt that she loved herself. And the wave of that energy went around the room, and you could mm. feel it. You could feel it. She was having it again there in that moment, sharing it with the group. Sweet. And I just said, you know, this is why I do this work. <laughs> so that I can be around for those moments when they strike me, and when I can be around when it strikes other people. And that's what makes all of the effort and the time and the commitment well worth it for me so we had that moment in the group and then we had someone who did a very powerful worksheet and um, and we had lively discussion and we had we 
had a fabulous group once again. So that's what's happening for me. That and um, the fact that my audio from Sunday, the workshop audio and the the talk and the handout from the workshop are all available on my website. And I sent the blog out earlier. Send send me your link and I'll put it on ours as well. All right. I I sent a blog post out and it goes out. And I will, uh, I'll send it to you, Jeannie, so that you can get it posted. I've given this talk, I've lost count of how many times I've given it since 1990 and, I've tried to have it recorded, and various things have gone haywire, or the background noise was too loud. But this time, it it was presentable. So I have not just the talk I did on Sunday at the church, but the actual two hours of workshop talk that's available for download from my website, and the handouts available. So there's a a useful uh, version of one of the most powerful tools I've used for. Transition, grieving, loss, personal growth in the past, um, I don't know how many years it is, since the mid-1980s. And now that's available on the Internet, thanks to the technology that's out there. Awesome. So that's what's happening with me. Well, Tim, you know, you shared a little bit about that yesterday. I'm looking forward to listening to it. Maybe you'd give us a, a, a window on the, uh, on the tool, on, on what that looks like. Well, the essence of it is that most of us in this culture are not given tools for processing our emotions. That's one of the reasons we do this radio show, because you have developed these tools that really give people the option to address their emotions, to work with them rather than just cope with them or survive them. And because we're not given the tools for using our emotions as a warning system and working with them, most of us, when we have a a significant loss or transition, we feel the sadness, the guilt, the pain, the fear that we've been programmed we're supposed to feel when there's a loss. And so then we get overwhelmed with the negativity and we don't know what to do with it, so we throw it in our unconscious or we throw it in the closet behind us where we put everything else we don't want to deal with, and we slam the door and we try to run in the opposite direction. What we're not told is, and what we don't realize, is that we're dragging that energy, that closet, that unconscious with us everywhere we go, and it takes a significant amount of our mental, emotional energy to keep it hidden from us. The other thing we don't know is that all that stuff that we try to hide from ourselves about our own emotions and our losses and our transitions is what gets used to generate our pictures of other people, and so they show up in our lives and we think they have our problem or that they are causing our pain. So one of the more common patterns I run into with people over the years is they have a significant number of losses in their life and and sometimes really you know important long-term relationships and they have hidden from themselves and run from the pain of the loss so much that they block their ability to remember anything good because all the good memories are attached they're the other side of the coin to the pain of the recognition that that person is no longer with them or that that person 
divorced them or that person moved away, etc. So after a while of doing this, many people are left with their only connection to the person they've lost or the transition, <clears throat> the relationship transition. The only connection they have left is their pain and their sadness. And so I show up as a therapist or a psychologist, or they show up in my office, and I say, wow, you look like you've got a lot of pain around that. I can help you get rid of that pain. And they they think I'm attacking them. They want to fight to hold on to their pain and their grief because, as far as they know, that's the only connection they have to that relationship and all those memories and all those life lessons. So the tool that I presented on Sunday is a way to go through the memories, to slow down, to sort through them, to give myself time to process them, to catalog them in terms of the life lessons, the benefits, the challenges, the joys, the sorrows. In so doing, as I take the time to sort through them and catalog them, they're easier to remember Anything that I systematically put into a category and and repeat over time is easier for me to call up in my memory. And then I also have the double benefit there of I've, I've felt the pain, I've cried the tears, and I proved to myself I come out on the other side. I proved to myself that it is not too painful, too sad, too scary, too confusing for me to face and deal with. And then when I'm done with that process, all those memories, good, bad, and otherwise, all those life lessons are available for easy access in the library of my mind. And I don't have the reflex of shutting down and running away from them every time they get stimulated. And so I've developed a series of categories that uh, can be used as mind shifters or as targeted journaling or as a stimulation for the thoughts that might be attached to how I have pain or sadness around a loss in a relationship, and I encourage people to use them as a journaling guide and to set aside a specific amount of time, whether it's 15 minutes or half an hour or an hour at a time, so it's time limited, it doesn't seem like it's going to be endless, and just sit down with one of these categories, put it at the top of the page, and then give myself time to write about it. And the categories are things like things I liked about that person or things I didn't like about that person, things that challenged me about that relationship, things that I think challenged them about that relationship, how I think that person's life is better for having known me, how I think my life is better for having known that person, and on and on and on. And in working through those categories and giving myself time to sit and stir up the emotions and the memories and cry the tears and laugh the laughter and sing the songs and prove to myself I can be immersed in the memories and not be overwhelmed, on the other end of that, as I said, I get ready access in the library of my mind to all the memories, all the life lessons, all the joys and sadnesses from that relationship. So that's the tool in a nutshell. Hmm, sweet, sweet. You know, your thesis about everything else being hidden once we lock into the trauma of something, you, you bring back a, an experience we had with a young man who, when he first came to Heartland, he was in his 
probably mid-30s, and he had not drawn a straight or sober breath since he was about 12, drank and drugged all the way through. And I don't know, I think it was his second year at Heartland. He was actually on the support team in his second year at Heartland. He he um, started to deal with his rage and hatred toward his father, which was the only thing he had access to was and, you know, his drinking, you know, at least one of the things he blamed for it was his pain around his father. And uh, he did a, a still point session and came out of that still point session where, and he had not had one happy memory with his father from all of his life, just eight. And uh, it was really powerful to uh, to see him come out of a still point session and just be in delight and joy thinking about his father and the, the memory that opened the floodgates was, you know, he was maybe two and his father's laying on the living room floor holding him up and bouncing him in the air and bouncing him on his foot and and that just opened a floodgate of just wonderful memories and his dad actually had lung cancer was not very long for this earth and uh, he, he finished that intensive, got in his car drove back to Ohio to see his dad and uh, for the first time since you know he was like 13 or 14 and and have a a loving you know reunion and interaction with his dad so it's pretty uh, pretty cool to see but you know right on track with uh, you know as an example of what you're talking about and uh, actually it was really sweet because his parents even though his dad had lung cancer uh they were so um, i don't know i guess touched by having their son back that they actually drove from Ohio down to Heartland just to say thank you, just personally face to face. Pretty uh pretty awesome experience to connect with his dad and his dad shared a little bit of his pain and, and uh what he'd gone through with a son that, you know, repeatedly was involved in drugs and alcohol and, you know, ripped him off every which way but loose and uh to just be back in a loving relationship was pretty awesome so you can never count how high the uh, blessings are that are going to come from from doing something like that so that's that's really awesome thank you tim for sharing it well you're very welcome on your mind how no i'm i'm complete and i have um no hands up but we do have plenty of time so for uh the 17 or 18 people who are on the phone queue if any of you has a question hit number one on your phone and i'll let me know you have a comment or a question and you'll be first in line to talk to michael and so far only guests in the chat room okay Jeannie, do you have anything to share at this moment any thoughts on your mind for the uh the last few days or our conversation with ron get to my mute button there (laughs) Um, no just uh, the energy has just been awesome with this group though and um, we've had a good turnout yeah it has and I think tonight's probably going to be our biggest crowd because we actually had about 8 people that have been at the workshops each evening and Dr. McCullough was in town last night and they had tickets to go see him and so we were missing at least 8 people that I know of Last night, so I think with them and then all the ones, there were several people come up to me and said, oh, I'm bringing somebody with me tomorrow night, and 
So I think we'll have a really good crowd tonight. So we'll get there early to get a seat because the room was pretty full last night. So our call-in number is 646-200-4169. We're here to support you. What's your process looking like? Have you been using the tools? Are there questions about the tools? Is there something that doesn't make sense about the tools? Is there something that, you know, maybe on one of the worksheets and you say, why why are we doing that? What's that? What's that got to do with anything? And, uh, you know, sometimes people hesitate because they think that, you know, well, it's a, it's a primitive question or a silly, everybody should know that. No, no, actually, when one of those really basic questions comes up, it can be one that's a gift to the most seasoned, seasoned practitioner of these tools because oftentimes people will hit a plateau with the use of the tools and not understand why they're stuck in a plateau because they're using the tools. And usually the answer to that comes when somebody asks a really basic question and they go, oh, I forgot about that part. <laughs> and that opens them to move to the next level. And, and it is normal to do a certain amount of work and plateau for a while and feel like, well, gee, I'm just not making any progress. Things aren't moving. And then continue with the work and bingo, another level happens. So, so if you have so a we have a hand up. Us, oh, great. Let's say hello. Area code 417. You're in the air. Hi, this is Micah. Well, Hi, young lady. Welcome. Good to hear your voice. <laughs> and yours. Um, yeah, I would like to ask for clarification again on how your understanding of codependence and how that differs from the general psychological understanding of codependence. Uh, I was okay. going uh, through a discussion about this the other day, and both of us who are pretty well-versed in, in your work uh, weren't quite sure. Okay, cool. Well, actually, you know, codependence is a result of denial. So the simplest explanation from the perspective of this, and I know it's much different than, for instance, the codependence work that's done in AA, but when one goes into denial, and, and remember our functional definition of denial is when I speak or think, and so I think you're causing something to happen inside of me, I have to dissociate with what's happening inside of me. The instant that I dissociate from what's happening inside of me, that is I hide the cause of my pain or turmoil, it happens because I've thought or talked like you're the cause. And when I talk or think like you're the cause, I have to hide the cause for myself. And I'm now in codependence. So when I think or speak as though someone else is the cause of something that's happening inside of me, I am now in codependence. And, of course, I come to rely on them to be the one to blame for my pain and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's, it's oftentimes, and it ties in, you know, in the codependence workshop, we introduce a power person dynamic. And the power person was someone who had more power over my life than I did at some point, And I perceived it as a survival issue. And so what, what often happens with a power person, which is a whole big piece of the codependent workshop and codependent dynamic, when that person isn't functioning as love and isn't responsible, and if I was the child in the situation, then the power person used me as a screen upon which to project their upset. You know, 
you hear people say, well, I was just so enraged by the crying of that baby. That's codependence with the baby. And the child learns that I'm to blame. And the power person is a user using the child, oftentimes using a spouse, using a boss, using a neighbor, of everybody else is the problem in my life. So everybody that they count on to be reliable as a person who will be used and accept that role, they are codependent with. I am codependent when I'm willing to take back my power and when I'm willing to be responsible, that is my power to create the good, the bad, and the ugly that I experience. And if I'm in pain, that I can take responsibility for my pain and I can work through my pain at that point. Otherwise, I keep dissociated from it. So that would be the simplest form of of codependence that I would offer. And, you know, the person who was used by their power person as a screen upon which to blame everything that was wrong in the power person's life then grows up, and when the stress is up and the chips are down, they will. Now, this isn't a maybe or they might. If they're not aware of the power person dynamic and haven't processed through the power person dynamic in themselves, then every time they're in stress, they will do that behavior that they hated most, and they will become the user of the people around them. And the power person dynamic just goes on. Yes, please, go ahead, sweetie. I was just talking to somebody uh, yesterday about that same topic, and one of the things that I was expressing to her was that we actually need the code, the person we're in codependence with to do whatever it is they do because if we can blame them for whatever's going on, then we don't have to look inside. And I said it's kind of like, you know, if you had a play going on on stage and the spotlight is shining just on one performer and you're the other performer and you just screwed up and so you're really glad the spotlight is on the other performer because that way nobody sees that you messed up. And so we we want to keep that other person in that codependent spot because then we don't have to look at what our own issue is. And once we're able to turn and look at that, then we can make a change. Excellent. So the the child used by a power person becomes a user and uses others for the screen upon which to project everything they don't want to deal with in themselves and... That's codependence. Very good. So uh, let me ask a further question. Um, I was thinking of this the other day and thinking, well, codependence and denial basically have the same root. And so I think yeah, I just heard you same. saying they are the same. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's it's kind of like that, old, that deny, old song. Become... Go ahead. We got a bit of overlap here. I was going to say it's yeah. kind of like that old song from years ago: "Love and marriage, love and marriage go together like a horse and carriage." Denial and codependence go together like a horse and carriage. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay, so um, any time that we're in denial, we are therefore immediately codependent upon whoever it is we are projecting our problems on. Yes. The yes. And as Jeannie says, yeah. we can't, we come to count on them. <laughs> yes, 
Yes, yes, right. <laughs> and that way we get to pretend that way we get to pretend to be innocent victims, which is a total oxymoron. You can't put those two words together in one sentence logically in any way, shape or form, because we're creators. But when we deny our creatorship and we want somebody else to be in charge of it, then that person that we're blaming is our codependent. Yeah. And we can be codependent so by the way. We can be codependent so many... with anything. Right. Um, so that's why in some relationships, when one person begins to make changes for the positive, the other person then becomes upset with them and says, you got to stop doing this crazy stuff because they're not getting what they need in their codependent relationship anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of goes for the codependent. It kind of goes like this. I hate that horrible behavior that you do, but by God, if you stop, you're really in trouble. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because right. they, okay. they count on believing that that person is really the problem in their lives, and and so right. when they stop doing what resembles what they're being used for, it gets more and more difficult to uh, to keep the the sham up of it's all somebody else's fault, and I'm an innocent victim. Right, Michael. If I may uh, switch the subject a little bit um, to responsibility communication. Um, I would have been working with someone recently on um, honing the understanding and the ability to use responsibility communication. And right. it became apparent in our conversations that it is so important to to teach people that responsibility communication is simply using responsible communication in order to achieve support, but that responsibility yes. communication is only for support, and any other time that we are communicating, we definitely want to be using responsible communication, however, they are not the same. One is for Absolutely. gaining support, the other one is for interacting and giving information, asking for information, and so forth. Is that the right. correct? And and. Well, I, when I'm in pain or turmoil, I'm going to use responsibility communication in order to ask for support. It's always, you know, a request. When you, when you get down to the, uh, the step where you're saying what I want, you know, the person who's using projection communication, their what I want is always I want you to change because yes. it's all your fault that I'm feeling. So you better change this behavior. That's what I want. And that's always projection communication. Responsibility communication, there comes a point in the responsibility communication process, in fact, it's laid out in step seven, where that kind of request can be appropriate. You know, there there are times when problem solving is appropriate. And in projection communication, the only goal is problem solving. I need to fix you. You need to change. Whereas in the responsibility communication process, there's a step where I identify, instead of being focused on your issue and using you as the screen to project the problem, I identify what my issue is. You know, the example we use in the workshop of somebody coming in the house, one one spouse is sitting at home quietly reading a book in the front room and somebody comes in and throws something across the room and the person reading the book says, you're angry, you come home angry, you just better knew that, not do that again because that's really terrible. And that person has, takes no responsibility and has no clue that the problem they're dealing with is their internal terror 
about someone who at least appears to be angry to them. And so in responsibility communication, if I'm that one sitting there and I want to problem solve, I want you to never come home or angry again. In fact, what I'm saying is I don't want to ever have to deal with this terror inside of me. And and the truth is someone who's got, for instance, terror about angry people needs angry people in their life. They're going to, they're going to call person after person after person after person in to play out angry because terror inside of someone's tissue structure is a frequency of death. And so will continuously, the person who has terror about angry people will continuously attract angry people into their lives or they'll attract peaceful people who will soon become angry in their expression because they need that. So in responsibility communication, it becomes a process of, well, you know, this happened. I was sitting in the front room. You came home and, and you threw that eraser across the board and I thought that you were angry and I realized that, you know, whether you were or not, I had a problem and that was, Terror about my anger or, or about what I perceive to be someone else's anger. And what I want, you get to the what I want step is, and I want support and healing my terror. It's like time for me to be finished with this because someone who holds terror in their gut is going to die from that terror, literally, chemically, in the cell. The cell is deteriorating that holds terror. And so if someone can have a terror response, the cells that are holding that are suffering from that terror. And so the request is for support and healing. And then, you know, maybe as, as in the example you've heard me use, gee, somebody gets in touch with a really deep long-term issue of terror. And so then you get down to step seven. Okay, now I've gotten the support for, for healing this, and I've started the healing process, but I'm not going to be done with this one today. This one may take me years to work through totally. And so, you know, in, in the case that I, I use for an example of that is a, a woman that I worked with who was about 10 years of age, this is what she got in touch with in, a, uh, in being supported in a worksheet in a responsibility communication situation. And uh, she had the memory surface of being 10 years of age and her father telling her to clean up cat droppings. And she made some sort of comment about, like, why do I always have to do it? And, and this girl, literally, at 10 years of age, and, and you know, here she is, she's, I guess she was in her 50s when she finally touched into this. She actually believed that at 10 years of age, that as her father whipped her, it was so severe that he was actually going to beat her to death. I mean, holding as a 10-year-old for 40 years in unconscious awareness, the terror that she's going to actually be beat to death. And, And that's the kind of issue that isn't going to be done in one worksheet or one still point session. So that's where problem solving comes in uh, handy and so the last step seven, step seven in the uh, in the worksheet and you can folks if you haven't accessed this you can go to whyagain.org click on the red and white bullseye and just look further down the list and you'll find the, uh, the responsibility communication worksheet and uh, so step seven would be you know how about you know in the future you know if you've had a bad day at the office about just calling me and letting me know because what really shocked me was you know coming through that door with what I perceived as rage that's what really brought all that up so we don't need to keep stimulating that I know it's there and I'm going to keep working on it and so healing and problem solving both occurred problem solving on its own isn't much use what that tends to lead to is 
uh, serial relationships. Oh, I have to get rid of you. That that healing never occurred. You're too much of a problem. So out you go, out you go, out you go. And, you know, people wonder why they can never form solid relationships. It's because they never step into the healing mode, and they're always in codependence. And, you know, there aren't too many people that love to be blamed for what's going on in everybody else's life. That's I, I haven't, in fact, you know, I don't think I've ever met anybody that likes to, to be blamed for that. So great questions, Monta. Thank you. I appreciate well, how deeply um, you're delving into the uh, the communication process and how much awesome feedback you give us for it. Hey, great! It's a great tool. Um, and and I wonder if you could give an example now of someone who has had an issue, uh, uh, for instance, with their terror being triggered by someone else's behavior. Um, Oh, perhaps, okay, let's let's use this scenario. Uh, a husband and wife, and the husband uh, has beaten the wife on occasions, and, and that has brought up t- terror from that experience as well as earlier experiences in her life. And so let's say that she used responsibility communication uh, to get support from her husband when he was in a better place, a more loving place. And and let's say that she has done a lot of work about clearing her issues around the terror that has come up, um, triggered by those beatings, um, the terror both from the past and from the current situation. And and let us also say that he continues to, on occasion, beat her because he hasn't been working on his stuff. And so she makes a decision a choice to, not a decision because that's an automatic um, reaction, but a choice to leave the relationship because she no longer wants to be treated in that way. Please give us an example of how she would use responsible communication to convey that rather than responsibility communication because at this point she's not asking for any support. She wants to give him a very clear message. Could could you um, give us an example of how to do that? Sure, sure. First of all, real support from him in that scenario would look like him stepping in and saying, you know, I realize that, and, and this could be very appropriate request to make in terms of problem solving, is, you know, we've established that you have let your fist flail on more than one occasion, and so the request might be, would you be willing to do some work to free yourself of that equation, whatever your trauma, your turmoil, your pain is about? And then in terms of, you know, uh, coming to the point where I, I just say to myself, you know, I choose to have a different kind of life and a different kind of support. And so, you know, dear, I love you like a brother or actually like my spouse, but it's time for me to move on because I'm not willing to be touched like that again. That's totally inappropriate. And I'm just not willing to live there or take the chance that I will be injured and hurt by that kind of behavior. And so I'm going to choose to depart the relationship and what I would suggest to the person who makes that kind of choice is they make sure they keep doing their work around that issue so that they don't have to just turn around and blindly draw someone else into the relationship, into a relationship that's going to do the same behavior. 
Right. And we're right. down to Very just good. the last few seconds. We're down the last few seconds, and there may be more refinements on this one, so I'm going to close the show, and maybe we could start tomorrow with this continuous conversation if there's more conversation to be had about it. In the meantime, thank you, Magda. Thank you, everybody, for your participation, for your listening ears. Share it with somebody. Pass the MP3 on to somebody else. Invite a stranger to the show. Create the best year yet of your eternal life. If you're ready for an intensive, get in touch. We've got a couple of spaces left. Blessings. Bye-bye.